That's what I like to hear. Okay. <laughs> um, what makes us all human? Have you ever thought about that? What ties us together as fellow human beings in this life? Maybe who we were before, who we are now, and who we will be in the future. Has anyone here ever struggled to find their identity in this world? Yeah? <laughs> to figure out what your story really is, who you are. And I know these are tough questions this early in the morning for us to wrestle with. I get that. Um, because the reality is that you and I, us as human beings, we really just don't have one story, do we? Our lives, our identities, they're these series of complex, different stories that make up who we are. Would you agree? Stories, stories, ultimately, they kind of reveal the battles and the wars that we've endured in this life. When you get to know someone, they might start to tell you stories about their lives, the most significant stories that shaped them as a human being. They might say, well, I'm married, or I'm single, or I'm divorced, or I'm newly just became a widow or a widower. But underneath that very simple story, phrase, set of words, well, there is a battle that has taken place that has gotten you to that point where you are today. Can you ever know the things that I've been through in this life unless I share those stories with you? Can I know the things that you've gone through, the pain and the hurt, the things that you've battled or are battling right now? Can I know that just by looking at you? We don't always know what people are carrying around with them now, do we? It's kind of only through the stories, the stories that we choose to share with one another, that we can begin to start to understand who we are and our own story. The hurt and the pain, the battles that are currently going on, we might not really understand someone. We can, might see their scars, see the obvious things, but that doesn't mean that we've lived through that story that happened that gave you that wound. Growing up, I battled to find my voice as the middle child of three, stuck in between two, um, let's just say, very strong-willed and opinionated siblings. I don't know if any of you can relate to such a situation. In middle school, I struggled to find my place where I just didn't quite feel like I fit in. Always kind of felt like an outsider. In high school, I struggled and I battled to make sense of this Christian message, the message that I heard growing up all my life, but knew there was more to the story that I just didn't quite understand yet. And in college, I battled, I battled to accept the calling that God had put in my life, to go into ministry. And in seminary, seminary, I battled to believe that God could use someone like me, my voice, my story, and my experiences to teach people more about who God is and His story. These battles, these 
stories are a small part of me, who I am, and my story. They have shaped me and the person that I see when I look in the mirror. The stories of who I am, this kind of, uh, it's, it's pretty tough for us to deal with this early in the morning, I get, but what is your story? What do you think of when you want to describe yourself to someone else? What is your story, your battles, the things that you have been in that have shaped you as a person? What battles and wars have defined you this very day? What are the stories and the battles that God has shared with us to make up his identity so that we can begin to know who he is? Well, Paul today is going to talk to us about something very important. He wants us to be aware of the fact that even if we can't see it, that there is a particular war or battle that is always going on in this life and in God's kingdom. Ones that kind of unite us all as believers and as fellow humans. And most of all, he wants us to be aware of a particular battle, a battle that actually doesn't need to continue to happen. So with all that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, which say this. I myself, Paul, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I ask that I am presented not need uh, to show boldness by daring, to oppose those who, we, uh, who think we are acting according to human standards. Indeed, we live as human beings, but we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And every proud obstacle raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If you are confident that you belong to Christ, remind yourself of this. Just as you belong to Christ, so also do we. What uh, what makes a king in this world? Can there be a king without a kingdom? Or is that kind of like a prerequisite for the whole Thing. As Christians, we kind of live in this um, interesting time of God's kingdom, the here and then the not yet completed, fulfilled portion of God's kingdom. As Christians, uh, through Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, we have been introduced into God's kingdom in our everyday lives right here and right now. Those of us who trust in Christ as our true king, well, we are part and called to be members of that kingdom. How does our king, God of all creation, how does he choose to rule this kingdom? Is it just like every other human leader rules their kingdom? 
with power, for power and control and dominance? Or does he choose to rule this kingdom that you and I are a part of differently? Does he allow us the freedom, the freedom to choose, choose who we decide to worship, who we put our faith in, and who ultimately we pledge our allegiance to? Kingdoms in this world are rarely ever at peace now, aren't they? Kings and kingdoms are always under attack, and someone in this world will always try to take God's place in your life. Even though we might not see it this way, there is this war for your allegiance currently going on all around us all the time. We live in the chaos of another election year where we have fellow believers and Christians who are opposing each other in this political war all taking place in God's kingdom. Fighting with ourselves can be distracting, and oftentimes, and in most cases, it doesn't need to happen. The story that shapes us all as Christians, the one that unites us as believers, is the story of the battle and the war that took place on the cross. The one that three days later, Jesus was victorious over when he was resurrected. The battle that Paul wants us to be aware of here in this text is not only the spiritual war that is always going on for our worship, but more importantly, he wants us to be aware of the civil war, the civil wars that happen inside of our churches and our denominations and amongst fellow believers in God's kingdom. The story of God's kingdom His story, well, it involves the ongoing battle for unity and for peace among fellow Christians. Where do most of our battles in this life, this very life, where do they take place? Where are our battlefields located with the things that we are battling and at war with in this life? Where does the war someone faces uh, who has depression, where does that battle take place? What about someone who is a recovering drug addict fighting to remain sober? Where is that battlefield located? What about the battle for us as Christians to remain faithful to God in this world that has fallen and broken the battle for acceptance, the battle to find love, the battle to do the right thing when it might actually cost you your job, everything that you've ever worked for? What about the very real, never-ending war that someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one, where does that battle take place? Can you point to that battle on a map somewhere? Or... Do those battles, do those battles take place within ourselves, in our invisible and internal battlefields? You can't just point that out on a map somewhere, now can you? Just because these battlefields aren't always visible, well, that doesn't mean that people aren't at war 
What are the types of wars that people can endure in this life every day? Ones that go both seen and unseen. And how does it change us? How does it change us when we feel like we are always under attack? How does it feel? Uh, how does it change our families, our churches, the way that we view each other? When we feel that we always have to be on the defensive, or maybe even worse, that we might have to attack first out of self-preservation. The truth is that Christ has already won a uh, very important war that we could never have won on our own. And he continues to fight this war and this battle on our behalf and behalf of his followers, which is the battle to reconcile and restore our relationship with God. Because the reality is that our greatest weapon in this life that we have against all of the battles that take place on our invisible yet internal battlefields is our relationship with God. Our king, our king wants to be our greatest ally in whatever war is going on in your life right now. In the battles that we face, God has given us all that same weapon. And if we're being honest, at times it just doesn't feel like it's enough. We might wake up that next day feeling completely defeated because that war, well, it's still going on in our lives. But our faith, our relationship with God is our greatest weapon. A relationship with our King who rules this very kingdom differently. Allow him to fight alongside of you whatever battle is going on in your life. We get to choose to have a relationship with our king. Paul goes on in the next chapter, in chapter 11, to explain something that actually on the surface kind of seems maybe irrelevant but is actually incredibly crucial to our understanding of what he is getting at. How is he making sense of what it means to be a part of God's church and his ministry here in God's kingdom? So with all that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump forward to verses 12 through 15. Verses 1 through 6 say this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we've proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one that you've received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you submit to it readily enough. I think that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may be untrained in speech, but not in knowledge. Certainly in every way and in all things we have made this evident to you. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to deny any opportunity to those who want an opportunity to be recognized as our equals and what they boast about. 
For such boasters are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is, no, it is not strange if his ministers also disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. Their end will match their deeds. So what is going on in this chapter? And then what is going on? How does he connect this portion of the letter? letter that he's sending out to this particular Corinth church. Well, he wants us to be aware of and to understand that there are false teachers in this world and in God's kingdom whose only purpose is to pull you away from God, take you away from your greatest weapon in this life, your relationship with him. He wants us to know that in our battles and wars that take place here that we have an enemy and that we have an, an adversary who clothes himself as an angel of light. Um, another way of saying this would be a messenger of good. What does an enemy look like here in this world? Can you always tell who your true adversaries are in this life? Some are, some are pretty obvious for us, right? Some of our uh, enemies are incredibly obvious, but a lot, I would actually say most of our adversaries well, they're a lot less obvious. Who here has ever been betrayed before in their life? Who can we be betrayed by? Someone that we don't know, never talked to. You can be disappointed and let down by that, but can you be betrayed by someone that you don't know? We are betrayed by those who are closest to us, people that we thought we knew, but it turns out that we didn't know, people who lived with us, spent time with us, knew us. Who was Christ, well, who was Christ betrayed by? He was betrayed by someone who called themselves a disciple someone who spent many, many years with him, a fellow believer in the gospel message in Judas. There was the obvious enemy to Christ, now wasn't there, in the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who hated his message. That was obvious, but that was not the only threat to Christ, now was it? Our obvious adversaries are not our only adversaries in this life. His adversary in Judas masqueraded himself as a close friend. Someone who spent many years with Christ, called himself a fellow believer and a messenger of good. Why does he want us to know about these false teachers and apostles, people who would call themselves Christians to this day? The real goal behind the angel of light here is to pervert the gospel message, to twist it into something that kind of closely resembles the truth, but isn't actually the truth. To twist it into something that might use the name Jesus Christ, 
but isn't actually God's real story, the story that he shared with us so that we might begin to know who he is. How many false religions are out there in the world right now who use the exact same name of our Lord and Jesus Christ? masquerading as truth, but are just mere human attempts for more control or more power or more money or more and more of the things that this world has to offer, which isn't uh, found at the core or the foundation of the gospel message, God's real story, the one that you and I are here today to celebrate. Fighting with ourselves can be distracting. And oftentimes it doesn't need to happen. Because if we're busy declaring war against our fellow believers, what are we not doing? We are not showing each other love. And people on the outside of these church walls, where they get to see it play out, they get to see how we treat one another. And that is the true goal of the angel of light, to get us, fellow Christians, to hate one another. Who here has ever been kind of drafted, pulled into a war that you wanted no part of? Do we get to choose the wars and the battles that we face in this life? Well, some kind of, yeah, if you're really conflict-oriented, but... Um, most of our battles, most of our battles, it's the other way around. They choose us. We don't get to choose them. We choose how we respond to them, absolutely, but we do not usually get to choose the battles that we face in this life. What about the battles that we face in this church, that we will face in this church? We often get drafted into wars that we want no part of, but that doesn't mean that you have to go through those things without God, your king, and your greatest weapon and ally by your side. So, what is the point that Paul makes here throughout all of uh, chapter 10 and chapter 11 and throughout this entire letter of 2 Corinthians? What is he really getting at here. How many of us in the midst of our own battles and wars and betrayals have ever cried out to God, how long, how long, O Lord, will all of this go on for? How long do our battles in this life actually go on for? Wars And battles, they persist for what seems like a lifetime or eternity. They're never ending. Because the reality is that there isn't a time limit or an expiration date on the wars that we fight. Does a war, um, its impact in all of the aftermath that happens, does that suddenly end once maybe the two opposing parties decide to get a resolution or to have a peace treaty? And can you tell with the war that you're currently in right now how long that battle will take for it to finally be over and won, if it could ever finally be over and won in this life? 
Why does he, why does he mention all of this stuff about our war, warfare? Why does he want us to know that we can be deeply wounded and hurt by people who might call themselves Christians in this life? It is because betrayals and the wars that we fight, well, they change us, don't they? They change us as believers because they can make us resentful, hateful, bitter, and angry people. Soldiers, soldiers who go off and fight in wars, do they ever come back the same from the things that they've seen? Or do the things that they see, the things that they experienced when they were at war every single moment of every single day while they were in that battle, does that change them forever? War changes us into entirely different people. How has your wars, battles, changed you as a person? How has it changed your story? He wants us to know, as well as the Corinthian church that he was writing to, that the wars, the wars amongst us as fellow Christians will change us forever. Casualties will happen. Faiths will be broken. Relationships forever damaged. Shattered dreams, they're all a result when we are hurt most by those who are closest to us, our fellow Christians. Are the two sides, the two opposing sides who start this war or are a part of this war, are they ever really happy when they look back and they start to see all of the wounded, all of the people who were trampled underneath the wake of our civil war? What more does the enemy, our true adversary in God's kingdom, what more does he want than for us as Christians to see our fellow Christians as the true enemy? Are we not doing his job for him? How many civil wars has God's body, his church, his hands and feet here in this life and in this world, how many civil wars has Christ's body endured throughout these last 2,000 years? How many is, is he enduring right now, this very Sunday, or will he in the future? Do our civil wars really need to continue to be a part of God's church and his story? What is your story? What are the battles and, that have shaped you as a person, as a Christian, as a believer what is Summit Ridge Community Church's story? What do people see when they look at us? And what will we choose? Because yes, we get to choose the rest of our story. How we respond to our wars and our battles in this life. And who we will fight alongside those battles and wars with. Christ knew that he was going to be betrayed now, didn't he? He knew that he was going to be betrayed by someone who called themselves a disciple, a believer. But how did he treat Judas? 
where he saw someone who deserved to be loved. Someone who maybe had a story of his own. And someone who was ultimately worth dying for. May we no longer see each other through the lens of fear, which paints everyone as a possible threat and a risk of betrayal, because there is going to be risk of betrayal always in this life. Betrayal did not stop Christ from loving. It didn't stop him from living his ministry either. May we not see each other as the enemy. Someone that we need to destroy or attack first before we get hurt. Or may we see each other as fellow human beings. Human beings with real stories that involve real battles that you and I might not even realize the depth of just by looking at someone. How does God see you? Your story the battles and the betrayals that you've gone through in this life. Well, he saw someone who was also worth loving, who also had a story, and who also was worth dying for. If he didn't see us as enemies, as enemies, even those who eventually became an enemy to him, then why do we get to see each other as the enemy? The adversary in our great war that we can not always see that's going on around us. Well, he masquerades himself as an angel of light, a messenger of good. He does that with the sole reason of collapsing God's holy temple from the inside out. To destroy the place where the living God dwells inside of you and I each and every fellow believer in this world. Believers who are battling something in this fallen and broken world. Where does the battle for church unity actually take place? Where does that reside? Can you point to that battlefield on a map somewhere? Or does that reside in each of you here and now? Does it take its ultimate form in the way that maybe we might pray for one another? Worship God, his creation, and his created image. Unity. Unity is a battle with no expiration date and no time limit because it's one that forces us to make peace with each other instead of declaring war against one another. So that God's name, his name, may be powerfully proclaimed throughout the world by the way in which we love each other. What makes us all human? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What are the things that tie us together in this world? Maybe who you were before, maybe who you are now, or who you will be in the future. Where is your true identity as a Christian located? What is the battle and the war that unites us all as believers? And who is on your side? Remember that you are not alone. 
in whatever battle or war or betrayal that you are enduring right now? Are we bulletproof in this life, unable to be hurt or harmed by the battles that take place on our invisible and internal battlefields? And can you ever truly know the things that I've been through in this life unless I am willing to share those stories with you? Can you ever know the things that people have been through and that, that are war with just by looking at them? We cannot always see the things that people carry around with them in this life. May the needless civil wars of the past no longer be a part of the story that we have to tell when someone asks you, who are you? What is your story? Fighting with ourselves can be distracting. But more than that, and if we're being honest with ourselves, fighting with ourselves is detrimental to God's missional plan here on earth. And it doesn't need to continue to happen. What battles, wars, betrayals have shaped the person that you see when you look into the mirror? And who are you? And what is your story? Pray with me. Dear God, thank you for sharing your story with us and that your story didn't end And our story didn't end when sin was introduced into this kingdom. That you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that we might once again have a relationship with you, our king and our greatest ally. Help us in whatever battles are going on. And help us ultimately to view each other not as an enemy, but as a fellow believer and someone that you loved very deeply, someone that was worth dying for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, for our benediction today, uh, I wanted to share with you Christ's final prayer uh, that we get in John 17. It was a prayer that was given moments before he was betrayed by Judas in mere hours before he died on a cross for you and I. And this is what he prayed for. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that, ha- that you have given me, I have given them, so they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me because you have loved me before the foundations of the world. That's it. What an amazing 
prayer that we get to live out in this world. Christ loves you. We have a relationship with our God and our King. Amen. Go in peace.